0: This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and Grace and Truth Living hosted a track called Women's Discipleship. As you know, memorizing scripture is an important part of discipleship. Well, Joanne Kraft from Grace and Truth Living, who facilitated this track, put together a nifty PDF download of 42 scriptures. And these are available to you for free through discipleship.org. And what's great is that you can just print them off anywhere in the world. This PDF is available for download through discipleship.org slash grace and truth. So go online and download their free PDF at discipleship.org slash grace and truth. Grace and truth is one word, by the way. Now here's the track session for Grace and Truth Living.
1: My name is Jess Wollstoneholm. Don't try to spell it, although it does sound like it's spelled. Um, uh, my maiden name was Giuliani. I'm a nice Italian girl from New York, and I prayed and prayed for a Smith or a Jones, and he gave me a home. God gave me a Wollstenholm, <laughs> so be careful what you pray for. Um, I, we've been married 15 years, last month, and I still can't say it. I still struggle when I, to get it out. It just doesn't roll off the tongue. So um, I gave you the easy email address <laughs> here so that you don't have to spell my last name. Um, but I am a mom um, to two kiddos, and I'll show you their picture in a second, and um, a wife to my amazing husband, and then I uh, run a ministry called Gather and Grow that focuses on family discipleship and discipleship at home. Uh, I'm not actually talking about that today, although it will kind of play a part because of the history of my family and and why I'm passionate about discipleship as a whole. So um, before I get started though, I think you saw these yesterday. If you were in here for Joanne or Jamie, if you did not um, get to write your email address down, we'll pass these around. And these are all of the ministries that we represent here. You can check them or not. but we want to be able to connect with you and follow up after our time. So I will pass one down each side. Yeah, if you did it yesterday, you don't need to do it again. Well, yeah, you just pass it down. That'd be awesome. Okay. So this morning we're going to talk about everyday discipleship. And, you know, we've, there's been such so many amazing sessions uh, yesterday that talked about um, discipleship, kind of one-on-one discipleship, and very, very intentional discipleship. Or maybe you, you went to a session that was about how to start a program, a mentoring program. Um, and, but today we're going to talk about everyday discipleship and creating a legacy of authentic living and gracious invitation along your journey with Jesus. And today's going to be a little bit different because we're talking about discipleship as as an attitude, as a posture in your life. And, um, you know, you, you, there are those, um, those programs that we're a part of, but even before we can um, intentionally lead someone on a discipleship journey, we have to have that attitude and we have to have that posture and be ready to live a life of everyday discipleship. So that's what we're going to talk about. So this is my family Um, I have two kiddos. My daughter Hope is nine and my son Joshua is six. Um, And like I said, I I lead a ministry called Gather and Grow um, where I help families disciple their kids at home and because I believe that faith begins at home even though um, church will always play a crucial role in discipling our children or discipling um, new believers. Um, What happens in the home, if if our kids have the the privilege of growing up in a Christian home, it starts there. And so I'm very passionate about um, what what happens in the home. And the reason that I am so um, passionate about discipleship is because of the legacy of my parents. This is my mom, Janet, and she passed away four years ago last month from pancreatic cancer. Um, And my mother was just this loving woman who, who always had um, that spirit of invitation and that spirit of love inviting people into her life and her home. And if you will indulge me for a moment, I want to read quickly just a piece of the tribute I wrote for her at her funeral four years ago. Good morning. Welcome. Hi. Kathy, do you have handouts, any more handouts for those that just came in? Thank you. I wrote, in going through my mother's things, I came across a high school paper she wrote about her life. She must have been 17 at the time. Besides getting lost in the story of her life from birth through high school, I was especially amazed by her level of self-awareness at such a young age. She described herself at 17 exactly as I knew her. She wrote, my wishes are these... I hope to never stop loving, and never stop looking for the best in life. I do not ask for riches, but I ask to be free from want." Although she had not yet begun her walk of faith or relationship with God, my mother's heart contained love, goodness, and a focus on the important things in life. These qualities were buried deep within her soul, and coming to know Jesus only grew them from their deep roots. My mother was not overly ambitious. She was never a go-getter. Many people would observe this as passivity, but I have come to see it as contentment. Having worked in an environment of people with zealous ambition for ministry and world change for the past 20 years, I have often found myself torn between simple contentment that I observed in my mother and my own desire to do something great that impacts the world and the kingdom of God. I have watched many people sacrifice relationships and personal values in the name of making an impact, being so focused on their goals in the name of Christ that they overlooked Christ's most important call to love. My mother's contentment to simply love well those that were in, within her reach has taught me that this is the most lasting impact that one can make on the world. And so I want to talk today about... Living a legacy of everyday discipleship. Because I saw through my parents' life that it was the most lasting legacy they could leave on this earth. My dad's still with us. My mom, though, hearing people talk about the impact she made on their life. My own middle school best friend, who, um, thanks to the beauty of Facebook, I was able to reconnect with after years. And so she was there. Um, in my life when my mom passed away and to hear her say, I am a believer because of your of your mother, because of your parents, because of the way she welcomed me into your lives and loved me and just um, showed me who Jesus was. So, like I said, I worked in the Christian music and publishing industries for um, 20 years before I had my son, my second child, um, and came home to be with my kiddos and I did see success and kind of big business change people into versions of themselves they never wanted to become. I, I saw marriages struggle and families weekend because, because of success and all that came with it. And even though I believe that um, you know, big things, this event that we're at this weekend, it's a, it's a big thing, right? And it's impacting our lives. It's inspiring us. It is encouraging us. It's giving us the tools we need to go back home and do um, discipleship and to do relationship. Um, And those things are good. Hear me say that these things are so good. But when we allow the pursuit of them to overshadow the everyday call in our lives to love well and and to be the hands and feet of Jesus, then we've missed the point. I believe that intentional programs and books and guides are important when discipling others, but everyday discipleship is more about what happens organically in the midst of ordinary living. So in your workplace with a coworker, right? On the playground with your mom's group, at the dinner table with your kids or the neighbors that you invite to come, over lunch with a new friend, even through texts and social media exchanges. I uh, consider Joanne, um, our great host, Grace and Truth Living, such an amazing ministry. And I consider her a mentor in my life. And she, um, she's ahead of me. She's not that far ahead of me, but she's a little bit ahead of me. Her kids are definitely ahead of mine. But the way that she speaks into my life in a very everyday, ordinary way. We live in the same town, but we only get to see each other maybe three times a year. Life is busy, right? We know that. But just the text that she sends to me, or the voicemail she leaves if she sees something on Facebook, and the way that she speaks into my life, and I trust her, and um, it's, it's enhanced my life. This is the kind of relationship that I'm talking about. What Jamie uh, talked about yesterday, were you in here for Jamie Hall's session, and what, and what um, Joanne talked about being the Mary and Elizabeth, those relationships are like crucial in our life and they're going to happen, and we need to be intentional in seeking them out and, and using the right tools to walk those out. But we also can live a life of everyday discipleship where it's just organically happen, happening. So everyday discipleship is a lifestyle, a posture and a culture that when developed within ourselves can strengthen and enhance any formal program or effort to lead someone on their journey with Jesus. A lot of times everyday discipleship is what turns into those mentoring relationships where you're just being you awesome, you and loving people and noticing people. And then that's when you can identify those, those in your sphere that you can influence. So I want to read a quote from this book, um, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. This book made a huge impact on my life this year in studying about discipleship. And the author, Eugene Peterson, he talks about discipleship as a pilgrimage. And he says, the Christian life is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will guard us from every evil. He guards our very life. We Christians believe that life is created and shaped by God and that the life of faith is a daily exploration of the constant and countless ways in which God's grace and love are experienced. So some people surrender to Christianity thinking it's the key to life on easy street. You and I both know that that is not true, right? Anybody have a life on easy street? I want you to disciple me. But when we live an authentic Christian life and travel our own authentic journey of discipleship, inviting others along in the process we see what he says, what it means to be ruled and preserved by God. And that is what I observed in my parents' life. So my parents grew up Italian Catholics in New York, and they met on a blind date. And my, uh, my grandmother, my dad's mom, who is the faith matriarch of our family, she had gotten saved. And, so, and she is a bold woman. God knew that he needed her on his team. So he grabbed hold of her, and then she led my parents to the Lord while they were dating. My sister was a honeymoon baby, so they went right into life with family. Because that's what you do when you're Italian. Anybody Italian in here? That's what you do, right? You have babies, right? I did not do that, but that's what you did. And so um, I guess you could say that we grew up in our faith right alongside my parents. And it was awkward. Um... Probably the best example of that I have is that when I was little, I wanted to take dance classes, but my parents got saved in a Pentecostal church, and that, and dancing was a sin. And so, you know, they, they grabbed onto that. That's what, they were, that's what they were told that was the culture then, and so I was not allowed to take dance class until I was 10. And when you start dance class when you're 10, they put you in a class with, with five-year-olds. And I have the picture to prove it in my costume. (laughs) I went through one season of dance. And it was right when I was in that like prepubescent chubby stage. Okay, I I I could not finish out the picture, but I I didn't try very hard, I'll be honest. (laughs) Um, But it was something like this, me, the 10-year-old, and then all the five-year-olds around me. It was so, so awkward. Um, and it, made, it, it did make an impact on my life. I have since forgiven my mom for, for allowing that. I would never allow that for my children. She didn't know any better. They were stumbling through their, their own discipleship journey, but they invited us along in the process. So we had this front row seat to this very authentic awkward journey of just learning what it means to be a Jesus follower. There were there were rules in the beginning that, you know, they finally let go later when they grew up in their faith, and they were trying so hard to do it right. But along the way, we watched them love others really well, and we watched them be so real with us and with God about the journey. And nothing was off, off limits in our house to talk about I think Jamie said that's true of her mentoring relationships. I'm sure that's true of her as a mom, too. Nothing was off limits. I, I, I remember asking my dad some horrifying questions um, that I would not be ready to answer if my kids asked me them today. But they they just had an open door, and they were ready. And so that's when we live our lives that way, inviting people along on the journey, I, I think I think Christianity is so attractive to them because it's so grace-based, and it's not about perfection, which we were talking about in the main session yesterday. You know, everybody thinks, well, if I'm going to be a Christian, I have to have it all together. We all know that's not true. And so how we live in this everyday discipleship posture of authenticity, which we're going to talk about in a minute. So what does it look like to travel this road with everyday discipleship as our goal? And how can we teach others to do the same so that our lives impact as many people as possible as we journey with Jesus. Well, before I do that, I talked about, you know, um, watching people kind of sacrifice their values or their their personal lives in the name of doing something great. Uh, I, and as my, when my mom passed away and thinking back over her life, you know, because you go, to a, you go to a memorial tribute and everybody tells you all the awesome things that somebody did. And as I'm pondering what I can say about my mom, I could say she loved well. Well, to a lot of people, that's not very significant. I knew that it was because I watched it. Um. So as I was wrestling with this, and in my own life, you know, being in a place where now I have these small children, and I'm, I'm not in my career anymore, God, what are you calling me to do? What is it that you want me to do? What does that look like? And I and I felt like God was um, giving me this picture of what I like to call micro impact, and it was all these small circles. And it looks kind of like that. But I'm gonna redraw that because after sitting here this weekend, you know, you can see that maybe this event or this organization is a, a bit of a bigger circle. But here's all of us attending and then we go home and we disciple others. Maybe it's our coworker, our sister, our kids, the neighbor. But what you see with these circles of influence, that sometimes they're small, sometimes they're medium size, sometimes they're big. If we focus in on the sphere that he's given us and we steward it well and they overlap because maybe that person that you're loving on at work, somebody else has been trying to reach her too and it overlaps. And it makes this impact that if we do it well, will actually cover more ground, will actually cover the earth. If everybody is, is in their sphere, doing their thing, what God's called them to do, everybody will be covered. But it's when we're so busy looking over there at their sphere and what they're doing and what he's doing, or this big one over here, why can't I get in that sphere, that we miss out, and then there's holes, Right? We live in a culture where big wins. People want to do, we tell kids from a very young age, you can do anything you want to do. I don't tell my kids that because I don't really believe it's true. I think that God creates us with a purpose. God, uh, he gives us for that purpose, right? And then, um, and then he shows us what it is as we walk with him faithfully. Uh, one of the things that uh, I wanted to show you so the story of Esther is one of my favorite. I love to tell it to my daughter. This is from our, our little Advent cards that we have at Gather and Go. We, we kind of walk kids through the Bible story from Genesis to Jesus' birth. Um, but with Esther, what I want to drive home with the kids is when we follow God, we can do great things right now, right where we are. And that's what this is about, discipleship right where you are. Um, and, I, and notice it says you can do great things. It doesn't say you can do big things, and some of us may do big things, but we can all do great things for the kingdom right now, right where we are. And that was Esther. I mean, how big was that thing? She may not have known it in the moment, but she just knew I'm here for such a time as this. I need to do what God's called me to do right where I am. And then look at the impact it made that she didn't even know. Um, So one of my favorite quotes And most people shorten it, do do all things with love. You see that. And there's probably lots of renditions of this quote. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And I think we can all do great things, actually. It should say not all of us can do big things, but we can do small things with great love. And that's my heart. That was my mom's life. And that's my heart for my kids, for my life. But what does that look like? As I was praying through what everyday discipleship looks like, the Lord led me to Colossians 3.16. It says, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives and overflow from it, because if it's full, it's overflowing, right? Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And that's in the New Living Translation, forgive me, I write for kids, so I have to use the easiest translation of the Bible, so I just kind of get used to it. But I loved the wording there, so um, it, it basically says the same thing, though, in all translations. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And that's what struck me the most about this passage, because I believe it's a beautiful picture of the Christian community in unity. Paul encourages the church to use these tools to teach and counsel, to disciple one another on the journey of faith. Now, to call them tools, Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, to to, to call them tools sounds a a little too practical or too functional. But I believe that in the midst of everyday discipleship, we can look to these methods of expression and connection and their characteristics to help us lead others. So let's look at them. Psalms. Well, the Psalms are words of authenticity and relationship. The psalmist is very raw in his expression, right? In his relationship with God, being so real about what he's feeling, what he's going through. We have hymns, which are often songs of thanksgiving, of praise. And then spiritual songs, which are prayers of covering. It's it's the spirit in us. So what are the characteristics of a life that utilizes these discipleship tools? I was thinking through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay, what, What would it look like if our lives just operated with those things at all times? that we are instructed to use in in community, in teaching and counseling one another? Well, they're poetic, right? The Psalms are poetic. There's a rhythm and a grace in the Psalms. In my ministry to families, I often say, discipleship doesn't have to be complicated to be effective, Parents are so busy trying to take care of their kids, their basic needs, that a lot of times they let spiritual formation fall down low on the priority list. I hear that all the time from moms. I don't have time. We're so busy running from here to there to everywhere. Um, I have friends that have their children in every single activity. They, They have such extracurricular FOMO, like they are so scared that their kids are gonna miss out. They have them in everything. I actually sat at the gymnastics gym when my daughter tried gymnastics um, with a mom, and she was like trying to one-up me when I was like, oh, yeah, my daughter's in gymnastics, my son's in soccer. Like that's it for us. We have a one activity at a time rule during this season of our lives um, so that we can have family dinners most nights, and that's where we do a lot of our discipleship. And she was trying to one-up me. Oh, well, I've got, I have to run from here, and then she does this, and then I don't know because her horse lessons overlap, her d- gymnastic lessons, and she was actually bragging about it. And I, I felt so bad because I thought, you're missing it. You are missing it. And so when we fill our lives to overflowing like that, and, hey, there are seasons for it. I have um, friends with teenagers that tell me, just wait. You're not going to be able to have that rule you know, and we'll see. I hope that we, um, you know, start as you mean to go on. So we have created a culture in our home that, that, um, that values family time. And so, I, you know, I pray that we can, we can protect that. But I know every family is different. But we need to make room for these, for these things. And not just in our families, but in our lives. And when we do, there is a, there's a rhythm and a grace that we can follow. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, in, in our ministry, we follow the, the calendar because I think for families, especially school families, um, there's a, a rhythm to the calendar, to our, you know, summer break and then back to school and then Christmas time and Easter time. And so we uh, encourage families to follow that rhythm of the calendar for your discipleship at home. But there's a rhythm and a grace to life that we can find when we we leave room. Everyday discipleship follows that rhythm and grace of our lives. It's seasonal. I get it. There are going to be some seasons where you have more space to be open to those relationships than other seasons, and that's okay. And um, we'll talk about being spirit-led in a moment, but just leaving ourselves open to, to what he has to say about that. Everyday discipleship is honest it's unhindered and it's raw. Like I talked about with my parents fumbling through their faith. That is that is one of the reasons that I believe my husband and I are standing here today still following God. So, when my husband and I decided it was time to start a family or or I should say we heard from the Lord, we were on the, we were not on the same page about this. So, I believed as my little Italian girl, right? You get married, you have kids, you procreate. Like that, the Bible tells us clearly this is what we do. And my husband did not feel like it was time. And we were in our marriage three or four years before. He came to me and said, because we were not seeing eye to eye about this, and, I sa- and he said, I need a clear word from the Lord that it's time to start a family. Because when it gets hard, I need to be able to look back and say he told us it was time. Well, he meant when parenting gets hard. But what he didn't know was the same month that he came to me and said, okay, it's time. I found out that I would have trouble conceiving. And I thought that that was a cruel joke. But now looking back, I know it was all part of God's story for our lives. And so we went on to travel a road of infertility and multiple miscarriages. We lost two babies before my daughter Hope was born. We lost two babies before my son was born. Um, and, And in that process of loss, we had a lot of people surrounding us. And we had mentors and leaders saying all the right things, quoting all the right scriptures, praying over us that life in your womb is going to, you know, live. We're praying for strong life and then we lose the baby. It could have been very confusing to us. We also had friends that just sat and wept with us. And I have to tell you, it was those that were just present, just letting us grieve our losses, letting us wrestle with the why, God, are you allowing this? That's what helped us. That's what had the greatest impact on our long-term faith. My husband and I grew up in the church. We, we knew, we believed that God was good. We knew it. We knew it all. We had a deep relationship with him at the time. But we would later go on to have even greater loss. And I remember being in my room one day, and it was after I had my daughter Hope, and then um, I had lost another baby, when we were believing for my son. And um, I just was praying and making my bed and saying, God, I don't understand. You know, why are you allowing us to go through this? Maybe you don't want us to have another biological child. What are you saying? And I heard him clearly say, I'm letting you walk through this because someday the stakes are going to be higher. And I didn't know what he meant. I thought, okay. So we just kept walking, you know, through life. We got pregnant with my son, an absolute, complete miracle. Doctors were baffled. That's a story for another session. Um, But when I was uh, four months pregnant with him, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with ALS. And so we began to walk that road with her. She passed away before my son was born. And then I shared my mom passed away three years later from pancreatic cancer. So the loss that we endured over the next few years was not that you can you know, quantify loss or, or uh, give it a level, but it was, it was greater, or it was cumulative, because it was on top of everything else. For 10 years, there was just loss after loss after loss. And in the midst of that, we also lost two church communities. My husband and I met and married in a church. We were there for 12 years. We are not church hoppers. We are committed to church. We grew up committed to church. Um, But after 12 years, we felt like this church was, um, it was time to move on. There were some leadership issues. There were some control issues. It just wasn't feeling like the place for us. And so we moved on. After leaving that body, we lost most of the friends and mentors we had had through that season. We went on to another church community. We were there for five years and the um, and that church started to flip its theology, which is happening happening a lot. It was a surprise to us, but over the course of five years, we started to see it go down this road, and then, boom! It was time to go. And so we lost that community, and those leaders, and those uh, and those friends. And so, we could have come to this place of saying, "I'm out!" Like this is ridiculous. You know, all this loss that we're experiencing, the church just not being what it needed to be, but we stood on the truth that God is good and that he is never changing, that even though the world may change, even though our community may change, he is never changing. Even when we don't understand him, we can trust him. And when I look back over my life, because I have, you know, um, Jamie gave that that statistic. What is it? 27% of millennials are leaving the church. This is why. This is why they they start to experience, um, you know, like I said, church communities that, that aren't consistent with the word of God or so much loss, they don't know what to do with it. And I've said to my husband so many times over the past few years, why is our story different? Why did we choose not to leave? And I truly believe that it's because we had so many people walking with us in such an authentic way. That it was okay to wrestle, it was okay to ask questions, but they always pointed us back to the truth that God is good and that He's worthy of our trust. So, everyday discipleship is honest, it doesn't need to have all the answers, and it knows when to simply be present. Everyday discipleship is extravagant, it's generous and expressive. On the flip side of knowing when not to say too much, you know, we we appreciated those people who just sat with us and grieved with us. On the flip side of that is knowing when we should generously express ourselves to others. And more often than not, that is what we do. Thank you, because I was forgetting to actually put it up there. (laughs) It just keeps going to sleep. It's early. The computer's like, it is early. (laughs) So my dad has a really awesome... um, Are we good? Yeah, good. Oh, good. Okay. He's going to fix me up. (laughs) Um, So my dad has, and my mom actually, he tells me that your mom and I always used to say when we're talking with people, when they meet people, ask the next question. And I love that, and I try to remind myself of that because... I, have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, how are you doing? You're doing good, right? I actually have had people do that to me. Hey, Jess, how are you doing? You're doing great, aren't you? Why did you ask the question if you're just going to answer it? If you don't actually have time to really hear me, keep on walking. I just want to look at those people and go, you're doing it wrong. That is not how you do relationship." And my parents were so good at this. My dad's still good at this. Ask the next question. It's extravagant. It's, and, and again, talking about filling our lives with, with, with programs and, and extracurricular activities and all these things. We need to leave room. We need to have margin so that we can ask the next question. And I'm not talking about in that mentoring relationship like Jamie and Aaron. Was it Aaron yesterday? Um, That was so awesome to watch, and I love that. I have women in my life like that. Um, You obviously are going to ask the next question in those situations, but what about in this everyday discipleship scenario at the office or or, uh, after church when you see someone and God goes, her. You need to connect with her. But if you're too busy and we don't have time or we don't make the sacrifices so that we can ask the next question, so that we know if God's connecting us to, to them and what, what they need. Everyday discipleship generously s- shares time, attention, and truth that is personal and encouraging. And then it's thankful. It's full of gratitude and joy. Our posture in encouraging others and discipleship should, should be one of thanksgiving. Always ready to give thanks no matter what. Our ability to give thanks, even when things aren't going our way, is perhaps the loudest and most effective message we can send to those considering a life of Christ. We may wrestle and ask questions, but as followers of Christ, we should always be able to return to joy. And this is a hard one, and we'll talk about this in a second again. Psalm 35 says, Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It's okay to weep. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to ask questions. But we have to come back to gratitude and joy, and it's it's work. That's that's work. Everyday discipleship is full of gratitude and joy, no matter what. It's prayerful, always communicating with God on others' behalf. So, have you seen those um, blog posts or articles floating around Facebook that say Christians need to stop saying "I'm praying for you"? Have you seen any of those? I I've seen several. And I get it. Like I, 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 I'm guilty of saying that, of saying, hey, I'm praying for you. And maybe I didn't or, or I forgot to follow up. And I, while I understand those words, I would like to challenge us. And this is what I've started doing. Instead of saying, I'm praying for you, I say, saying a prayer for you right now. And then I stop and I do it. A little popcorn prayer, right? Uh, and I just think that that's the way that we can live. To show people that we care and to live that spirit of everyday discipleship. Then let the spirit intercede on our behalf. The Bible tells us he, he does that. Everyday discipleship prays without ceasing. That's, that's what it means to pray without ceasing. You can offer up that prayer immediately and then go, Okay, God, I'm trusting you. I want my spirit to be covering this person today. Allowing the Holy Spirit to intercede on our behalf and on behalf of those in our care. And then likewise, it's spirit-led. It's in tune with his leading. As disciples and disciple-makers, we are led by the spirit, not only in prayer, but in every decision and conversation we have daily. Everyday discipleship is spirit-led, knowing that in him we live and move and have our being. So what keeps us from living this kind of life? Because I think we all agree, like, this is what, this is what life should look like, right? So what keeps us from, from living it? Anybody have any thoughts? We're unintentional. Yeah. Not not being intentional. Not being intentional. Selfishness. Selfishness. Oh, yeah. Too busy. Too busy. Yes. All of those things are true. The one that I want to focus on is this one. We're missing it. And I'm speaking to myself here, too, because sometimes I feel like I've been in a bad mood since my second child was born. (laughs) Man, I love those kiddos. Yesterday was my birthday, and Joanne said, go home and be with your family. Just go do something with your family. And so I went home, and I met them at home. We were going to go to a local dinner because I didn't want to be out late. My son ran through the street. My dad lives down the street. My son ran home in the pitch black dark and almost got hit by a car as we were trying to get in the car because he wasn't obeying. And then after I had to correct him, he, he, this is how he responds to correction. Then he just wanted to be close to me and snuggle. And so the whole time I'm eating my, my um, birthday dinner, he's like trying to get back in my womb. It was so unc- <laughs> He He's just like, Mommy, I love you. And I just, I was like, blah. I said, Joanne, I should have stayed here. And No, I'm, I love my kids. And, um, but, you know, motherhood is hard. Life is hard. There's a lot of things that try to rob our joy. And I think Christianity hasn't been attractive for some time now to a lot of people. We've replaced a light-hearted, faith-filled walk with Jesus for an intense, stressed-out lifestyle of to-dos, checklists, and programs. And those things are good when we keep them in balance, right? Many church leaders and disciple-makers have made the process more important than the people. That's honestly why we left that church that we had given our lives to for 12 years it didn't matter they 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 didn't have time to look at individuals and their needs because it was just go through the process go through the you know go through the filter this isn't the way jesus intended for us to share the good news it doesn't look like good news So I want to shift here a little bit. We're going to go back into what this looks like. Um, But I know that this is a struggle for a lot of us, especially as women, because we're so busy. We're so worn out trying to go big or go home that we're missing the real opportunity for everyday discipleship. I call this PTO discipleship. Have you ever served on the PTO? Raise your hand if you've served on the PTO. Okay, my phone is ringing, and the texts are coming. It's the PTO. We're doing a grandparents... They they did you too? I'm not alone. (laughs) Group text. Group text with 15 women. Lordy, lordy. We're doing a grandparents' breakfast on Tuesday. And so, you know, it's got to be big. We got to do it right. And we do this a lot. I used to work in women's ministry. I used to work for an author and speaker... Um, and I booked her events. And so the, the women would call me and say, what would Angela prefer? Hot pink or leopard print, you know, decorations on the table. I don't, I don't think Angela cares. She really just wants to come share Jesus with you. And I love good, like in here in middle Tennessee, everything's pretty. Like you were walk into the church and the coffee shop and the wood on the wall and, hey, I've got that wood on my wall in the house. Like I love, I love pretty things and I love to do things excellently. But when we have a lot of fluff and us women are drawn to fluff, we want to make everything so awesome and so perfect, right? The perfectionist in us. I never thought I was a perfectionist because normally I'm like, whatever, that's good enough. But when I did the Enneagram, are you guys familiar with the Enneagram? I'm a one. It shocked me too. I'm still trying to figure it out. But there are certain things I like certain ways. But we're not talking about PTO discipleship here. I want you to remember that when you go home. I'm not doing PTO discipleship where there's just a lot of fluff and it doesn't go deep, you know. We're just trying to get it done and get it done big. We're talking about Jesus' journey discipleship where we live out our lives in relationship with people in our sphere and point them to him. No extravagant homecoming floats that everybody's up until midnight doing for five nights in a row. No unnecessary door prizes or sign-up forms. Just authentic living and gracious invitation. And before we talk about what that looks like, I'm going to read you Matthew 11:28 through 30 and the message. Because more than giving you, you know, the steps you need, because that would be totally against what I just said, the steps you need to, you know, put on your checklist so that you can get it done right, I want to help you get into that attitude and that posture of uh, everyday discipleship by maybe taking care of you for a minute. So Matthew 28 through 30 in the message I like it in the message. When I was seeing a counselor during uh, all of the loss that we went through, she had me read this in the message. I had never read it in the message, and um, it's really powerful. It says, are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. This is Jesus talking. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. When we join Jesus on a journey of authentic living and gracious invitation, we become a disciple and a disciple maker who can change the world in small but effective ways, one sphere at a time. So what does that look like? Well, when I was thinking about what authentic living looks like, I thought of some not statements. What discipleship is and what it is not. An authentic life of everyday discipleship is grown from intention, not perfection. We're talking a lot this weekend about being intentional. That just means that we plan for it that we're ready for it, doesn't mean we do it perfectly. It's transparency, not privacy. Now, there's always, you know, going to be boundaries and guidelines. There should be. We can't just live our life, you know, completely open for all to see. But it's a spirit of transparency of saying, I'm just going to be real about that. It was so refreshing in the main session yesterday to hear them say, you know, talk about living out our, our junk. And there's been a few um, big, big leaders in in the church lately that have shared struggles, family struggles. A prodigal child or, you know, as someone who does family discipleship and I only have kids age nine and six, I think, oh, my gosh, if something happens, like I'll be a fraud. There's no just because I talk about Jesus every night at the dinner table with my kids does not mean that they're going to choose him. They're going to have a good chance of choosing him, and I'm going to do everything that, within me to point them in that direction and to authentically lead them to Jesus, but then it's up to them. And so for a leader to be able to say, hey, a son walked away from God, that's so refreshing for them to be that transparent. That's attractive to an unbeliever. It's attractive to me, but to an unbeliever especially. It's contentment, not comparison like we said earlier, it's looking at the sphere that he gave you and saying, all right, God, this is, these are my people. This is my lane. We talk about being in our lane a lot, not comparing to the next guy, next girl. It's connection, not control. And this one I got to give credit to my friend Jeannie Cuny. She wrote a book called Mom Set Free. And in the book, she shares uh, the manifesto of a mom who's living by grace and who's set free from just all the pressure and the lies that we often struggle with as moms. And in it, she said, I choose connection over control. And that was like, God was like, bing, 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 bing. That's you, that's you, that's you. Because I didn't know I was a perfectionist. I didn't know I was a control freak until I had kids either. But man, that second one came along and it was like, clean up all the toys and, you know, get all the clutter away. And I just want control over my environment. I need it to feel look and feel a certain way if I'm going to be able to function. But God said, man, you are choosing to control your environment more than connect with your kids. And how often do we do that with the people in our lives, the friends or the neighbor? That's hard. That may be hard, but, you know, you need to can't control how long she'll talk at the bus stop, but I need to... I need to show Jesus to her. And then it's freedom, not fear. Man, it's not engaging in those conspiracy theory posts on Facebook about how the world is, you know, ending and our country is going downhill with all of this fear. And a lot of times that's Christians doing that. But we have freedom to say, man, this is not my home. I'm not, af- I'm not afraid. This is not my home. It's freedom, not fear. And so, I mean, that's just one example. There's so many areas of our life that we can choose freedom over fear. And then a life of gracious invitation. What does that look like? Well, if authenticity gives us these not statements... It makes sense that gracious invitation would give us and statements because it's a little more open-handed, right? We have freedom to grow in everyday discipleship in many ways. We don't always have to choose. An invitation to everyday discipleship is intentional and spirit-led. It's the program. It's the book that you're walking through and it's the last minute coffee or the conversation that you feel the spirit, you know, leading you to start in the car on the way to church. It's both of those things. It's consistent and spontaneous. When you have a relationship like Jamie has with Aaron and the other girls that she's discipling, it needs to be consistent. But it's also it also can be spontaneous. There are relationships that can just be uh, the text when God puts someone on your heart. That's everyday discipleship. And it's generous and simple. It's going the extra mile or, or making time to meet when you really don't have time to, to you know, uh, stick to that commitment. But it's also simple. And I use the word simple a lot in my writing for families because us moms need simplicity any time we can get it. And so I'm trying to encourage them that discipling your kids doesn't mean you sit around and read the Bible and pray for an hour a day. It just can't. And there are times for that, and that is amazing, and that should be a habit. But if it's five minutes in the car, in carpool lane, or at the dinner table, all of those little seeds add up. And that's true for all of our relationships. So the reason I have my phone up here is because I'm going to play, I want to go into a time where we can um, just refocus. Sorry, I'm so technologically, where did that guy go? I need him to set up my, okay. So we're going to read, you can see, spoiler alert, I gave you the Verse. We're going to read it again. And I want you to insert your name. I need this to be louder. There we go. Okay. I want you to read your name. I want you to insert your name. Just whisper it as we read this. Are you tired? Worn out? And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So he says, walk with me and work with me. That's our life as disciple makers. We walk with him. We work with him. He says, watch how I do it. Learn my unforced rhythms of grace. This is, needs to be a little lower, sorry. Now, if that's not a picture of attractive Christianity, I don't know what is. If we're walking with him like that, people will be drawn to us, and I'm speaking to us as women now—busy, stressed-out women who think, "I don't have time. If I don't, if I don't get to everything on my list, it's just not going to happen." We don't have time to be authentic. But right here in Matthew 11, he tells us we're going about it all wrong. When we walk with him along this journey, that's no different than the hard and broken road everyone else is traveling except we get to do it with Jesus. We get to travel with him. And so I want, to, I want you to close your eyes right now and picture with me. Okay. Close your eyes right now and picture with me. You're walking along this dirt road. It's dusty and dirty. And as you walk, you can see brokenness all around you. Picture it. Broken dreams, relationships, health, it's all there. And in the midst of those broken things are the people you encounter along the way. But rather than pushing past them to interest, insert yourself into each scene and fix what's broken, you're instead walking in step with Jesus. You're stepping lightly even dancing from time to time with arms extended in worship. And as you travel with this posture and grace, others reach out to touch you. They're drawn to you. How can she dance so freely and lightly, they ask. I want what she has. I want to journey with her, like her. And what they're saying is, I want a journey with Jesus. They don't even know that that's what they're saying. And it's hard. I know it's hard to live like this. You can open your eyes and see that maybe that road will look a little more like this if we, if we travel that way. I have a hard time dancing through life. I didn't think I would be in this season of my life without my mom. My, my son never met one of, well, without both of my my, my children don't have grandmothers. They actually have a step-grandmother now that is a godsend, but they don't have their grandmothers. I didn't think that that would be my story. So I have had a hard time dancing through life in this season. But I know it's possible because I know that he understands that hurt, that loss, and that's the truth that I want the other people in my life to understand. That's what I want them to see me doing, is that even though, yes, what we've been through is hard, what you've been through is hard, even still, he is good, right? That's what discipleship is about, is letting them see that in our lives. But doing that in small and significant ways. What if small is the new big? That's what I like to say. What if doing that small thing really well, fully present, and with our whole heart is the key to making a long lasting difference? What if making micro impact is the way God wants us to create big change? What if we all dig deep in the soil that surrounds us to cultivate change within our sphere? And then what if those spheres remain small and well tended, and because they overlap and intertwine, together we change the world? What if our families remain strong and our integrity intact because we stop stretching ourselves beyond our limits in the name of Jesus? What if he received fuller, more authentic glory because all of all we do in his name is done in balance and according to his word? What if instead of going a mile wide and an inch deep, we just dig deep? I'm going to pray for us. Dear God, thank you for being present and walking with us. Thank you that we can dance along this dirty, dusty road and call it beautiful because you're by our side. I pray right now that you would remind me and every woman in this room as they go from here and back into their everyday lives, what that posture looks like, what it means to dance with you and to, and to live authentically and with gracious invitation to those that are in our sphere help us to know how to dig deep in that small and maybe growing into big sphere that you've given us in our lives show us each step of the way how we can be disciple makers in our ordinary lives in jesus name amen yeah oh we have a question yeah yeah absolutely I think we're good, right? It's only eight fifteen. I heard people leaving, so I was kind of thinking, oh no, we got to wrap up. But we've got a few minutes for questions if you have any. What is that? What might that be? What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Got it. Yes. She asked. I uh, talked about asking the next question. And uh, tell me your name. Leanna. Leanna. I couldn't uh-huh. see it. Uh, Leanna asked what does it mean to ask the next question? Well, that's a great question. Uh, it depends. It depends on the situation that you're in, but if you are, you know, if you, let's think of the scenario after church. Everybody's running out, you know, it went long, they're hungry, they're, they want to get to the car, they want to get to lunch, um, and you see someone, and they're like, hey, how you doing? You know, maybe it's just grabbing them by the arm and saying, hey, how you doing, or hey, or trying to remember something that they maybe told you last week or, or that you saw on Facebook and ask them about it and say, hey, how is your mom? Hey, whatever happened with your son? He was sick this week. Or, um, or if you've had that, you know, conversation before or you know that she's hurting and you simply say, how's your heart doing this week? Just to be able to go one step further than just... You know, the the drive-by, you know, connection. Yeah. It's a good question. Thank you. Any other questions? It's not really a question, but the spirit-led, what was that, the words were there? Yeah. I just want to make sure I say it right. My memory's not what it used to be. Um, Spirit-led, being in tune with his leading. Everyday discipleship is spirit-led, knowing that in him we live and move and have our being. And that's part of when we're dancing with Jesus. You know, the Spirit is alive in our life, and He's leading us. Awesome. Thank you all for being here this morning, and I pray you have an awesome day.
0: You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. The message you just heard was from Grace and Truth Living's track at the National Disciple Making Forum. Download their free PDF giveaway that has 42 printable scripture memory cards. It's at discipleship.org and graceandtruth. You'll find dozens of other great resources for discipleship at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.